looking. Deep pattern. Downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you a game day recap, your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, that's right, we made it. We are covering a Miami Dolphins football game. We'll break down all things from the Dolphins' 20-13 preseason defeat at the hands of the Chicago Bears. I'll tell you about a very special Uber ride, the stats from the game, my five takeaways from the game, a position-by-position spotlight. We'll hand out some game balls, the drive of the day, and a bunch more here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Well, it isn't quite a Victory Monday podcast, but honestly, I just watched the tape and it kind of feels like one. The boys played some good football, got a lot of stuff on tape to give them an opportunity to make corrections and get better, and you have to feel good about the first half production and can make an understandable explanation for why the second half went kind of in the other direction with a highly talented first-round rookie quarterback getting so many reps for the Chicago Bears, and he looked great, and then followed by a Super Bowl MVP coming off the bench to run with the threes after the fact. Before we get to the game, how about a Saturday morning that you'll never forget and I'm still a little bit starstruck from? I was on an Uber ride from the hotel to Soldier Field with Jason Taylor, who of course called the preseason game from CBS WFOR. He and Steve Goldstein, what a fantastic job those guys did. I've done, I've been listening to, or watching rather, Dolphins preseason games on the Game Pass stream or previous streams before that for over a decade now and probably even longer than that. And I haven't heard a broadcast that good. Just finished up watching the game before jumping on the podcast here to record. They did a fantastic job, but talking football the entire Uber ride over there with Jason Taylor talking about what I saw at training camp. That was a lot of fun to do. He was asking me some questions. Really, really pleasure, or really my pleasure, really kind of a surreal moment to get to talk to Jason Taylor about this Miami Dolphins football team. And then to kind of finish that point, we got dropped off right in front of one of the gates to enter. And at one point on that walk, my credential fell off of my belt. And I had about a 100 second panic thinking, that's that's how you're getting into the stadium, man. If you don't have that, you're not getting in. And JT, like the true class professional he is, waited for me to run back, flag it down. I found it, put it back on. We get back up there and everything was good from there. But a bit of a panic at the end of a fantastic morning. And then, of course, the post-game show after the game. If you guys did not catch the announcement or the show itself, I cannot recommend it enough. It's myself driving the show, Seth Levitt and O.J. McDuffie, the Dolphins legend from the Fish Tank podcast, on the air for two hours after the game, talking all things Miami Dolphins football with a little bit of a touch of mirth in there as well. I had a great bald joke for Seth that... He gave me some crap about, but we laughed about it afterwards. Good time with those guys talking Dolphins football. I think fans of both Drive Time and The Fish Tank will love that show. It's on 560 WQAM right after your Miami Dolphins games on Sundays in the regular season, Saturdays in the preseason, whenever the heck we're playing. We're going to be on the air after those games. We'll talk about the football game now, but first I want to get into the stats from the game as we do every single recap podcast here on Drive Time. And we look at some of the key numbers here. 
15 first downs for Miami to 12 for Chicago. But the third down number, six for 15 for Miami and one for two on fourth down. So that gives us, by my elite mathematic calculation, seven for 17 on third and fourth downs, while the Bears were three for 11 on third down and one for one on fourth down, so four for 12. Last year's league-leading defense on third down right back at it again under their total from last year at 33% on third and fourth downs. The total yards, 339 for Chicago, 326 for Miami. Miami outpassed Chicago, 208 to 168. The Bears got the Dolphins in rushing with 171 to 118. And Miami ran 12 more plays, 63 to 51 plays in the game and had the TOP time of possession advantage 33-39 to 26-21, but in the first half, Miami had the football for nearly 22 minutes of the first 30 minutes, and one of my favorite stats, a carryover from the first two years of the Brian Flores program here, four penalties, 38 yards. That's a great number to be at. That's how you wind up in the top five each of his two years here, and the Bears had nine penalties for 55 yards, and we're going to jump right into the takeaways here. We have five of them for you here on the podcast Number one, you got to finish drives. You got to finish every element of the game when it comes to the National Football League and really any other sport you look at, whether it's at the rim in basketball, whether it's in the ninth inning in baseball, or on the goal line in football. And if the Dolphins could have managed to put the ball across the goal line after getting second and goal from the one yard line and then two failed running plays. If they punch that ball in and go up seven zip early, you come back with a field goal later and make it 10 zip. And then eventually you're up 13 zero. That game could have gone really in the Dolphins direction early on and set the, set the tempo, dictated the pace of the game and really put the narrative out there that Miami came into Chicago and like the numbers and the production you saw on TV on the tape that you saw you would have seen the the results of that match and then you have the narrative complete that way for people to say yeah the Dolphins came out to Chicago and really handled their business because I thought they did throughout the course of the game and really you're going to make some mistakes obviously as coach Flores has told us there's no such thing as a perfect game but you're just so close to finishing off these drives finishing up these short yardage runs it was a bit of a bugaboo last year. Hopefully this is now an opportunity to put it on tape here in the early part of the preseason and get those things corrected going forward. But you got to finish those drives. That was my first takeaway. And we're going to go ahead and go to Brian Flores now for his post-game press conference and hear what he thought about the game and ultimately Miami's inability to finish some of those drives down around the goal line. Well, I mean, we're evaluating the entire game. so uh, But I thought um, we did some good things. Executed in some instances, didn't execute in some in, um, some other instances. Uh, I thought, you know, played well defensively, got off the field, played well in the kicking game, punt return unit, got some uh, positive plays there with uh, Jakeem and, and, uh, and Jalen. Um, offensively, we actually moved the ball. Uh, we just didn't, didn't finish drives. So, and, you know, uh, when you don't finish the drives, you can't punch it in from the one, uh, you know, turn it over in, in that area of the field. come back to bite you. And it did come back to bite the Dolphins at the end result of that game. And, you know, thinking about not having the preseason last year, we all know the Dolphins started last year at one and three and then finished the season out nine and three to close that thing. You hope that maybe some of those issues like in the Buffalo game last year, the Seattle game, hopefully get those things ironed out right now and then go into the season for that opener with the Patriots and start from square one, ready to take on those challenges, ready to overcome some of those obstacles that the team dealt with last year and now in this game because if they can find a way to 
convert some of those red zone and inside the five yard line drives into seven instead of three, or even in this instance today where they got zero on the turnover, like coach mentioned, that's how you go from 10 and six playing tight games and, and really taking more W's and getting further along in your progress than that. So I thought that was a big point of emphasis. I had a note on here with Tua in the passing game. I just want to touch on this real quick. And this is kind of coinciding with my first takeaway. We're going to come back and talk about Tua here in a minute, but how about the second possession of the game, this narrative about taking checkdowns and throwing the football short, whatever you want to call it, to go up top for 50 yards to your tight end to Mike Gesicki. I thought that was just a great play, a great throw, great job by the offensive line to get that thing blocked up. Great run after the catch, a great little subtle move by Mike Gesicki at the top of that route to give just a little bit of a nudge for that separation for the ball to float in there perfectly and then taking off and breaking tackles and getting all the way down inside the 10-yard line to about the seven. But again, got to finish that drive as coach mentioned. Takeaway number two, first team defense. And let's talk about this real quick on the offense. No Will Fuller, no Devontae Parker, no Albert Wilson. Those are your one, two, three receivers on the depth chart starting off for this Miami Dolphins football team. So without those guys for Tua to have the game he did, even more impressive. Again, we'll come back to that. But the second takeaway is your first team defense. And we use that phrasing lightly, talking about missing guys. No Xavier Howard in this game. No Byron Jones. No Emmanuel Ogba. No Jalen Phillips. And they allow on the first four possessions of the game, 35 yards, zero first downs, 2.92 yards per play. And Igbenogany, Christian Wilkins, Eric Rowe, and Nick Needham all had pass breakups in this portion. They finish out the first half not allowing a first down until 27 seconds to play in that first half. In the second quarter on that final field goal drive led by Justin Fields, they allowed just 3.8 yards per play and five straight three and outs to kick off their preseason. Talk about starting off where you finished last year, number one third down defense. Didn't get the takeaway today, but when you're playing like that, not even necessary because that was a great defensive effort, again, without a lot of the guys near the top of that depth chart. The third takeaway today, special teams remain special. Two, two return men that, I mean, that's a lot of electricity back there with Jalen Waddell and Jakeem Grant. On their first three punt returns, you go 23 yards, 20 yards, and 54 yards. That's 77 yards in punt returns. Now, we lost five yards on the fourth return, and then after that, I don't have the numbers in front of me here for you, but just talking about the way the Dolphins came out and really won the areas of the game we've come accustomed to with Brian Flores. Defense, special teams, the penalty yardage, the hidden yardage battle. So important to find victories in those margins because those thin margins in this league and special teams is a big one that seems to be overlooked every single year by the entire football cognoscenti. And I'm part to blame for that too. I do it a lot as well, but I don't want to do it anymore because it's so important to the success and outcomes of football games, especially this football team. And they demonstrate it every single time they step on the field. So the 77 yards of return yardage from Waddle and Jakeem Grant, who just both look electric as imaginable, like as electric as you get in this league on this planet when it comes to football players. And then you have two kickoffs back-to-back -back pinned down inside the 20-yard line. That's great work by Jason Sanders and the coverage crew and Danny Crossman to dial those up to get the team short of the 25-yard line. Again, hidden yardage, six, seven yards here or there. It makes a big difference. 
And then you also come out with Michael Pilardi, a 55-yard punt to kick things off with only a 43-yard net. Also had the great punt that sent the Bears return man backwards, muffs it into the end zone, recovers that thing at the one-yard line. So great work there by the punt team, the kickoff team. Jason Sanders, of course, does not miss field goals. He's two for two today with an extra point as well. And Blake Ferguson didn't miss any snaps. Got to mention the special teams. They continue to provide those thin margins for the Miami Dolphins. Takeaway number four, and this is something that basically was a carryover from the first couple of days of preseason action. We saw games on Thursday and Friday night before Miami and Chicago kicked off the action on Saturday. Don't take the backup quarterback position for granted. There's some teams out there that just don't have an experienced player at that position. And once the starting quarterback comes out, and we know how often injuries happen in this league, whether it's for the entire season or for a month or even for a game, if you need a quarterback to come off the bench in a pinch, it sure is nice to have one that has played well and won football games in this league. And I thought that's what Jacoby Brissett did today. He showed that he can not only come in and get you into the right calls, get you into the right protections, the right looks, the right run plays, and even mitigate some of the pressure that we saw from the Bears front against this Dolphins substituted but not completely substituted offensive line. Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, and Robert Hunt stayed out there for the majority of the first half, if not the entire half, if I'm not mistaken. Now, Michael Dieter came out for Matt Skura, and Jesse Davis gave way to Adam Pankey, the old veteran getting some time off there in that first half. But Jacoby Brissett, when that offensive line pairing we just talked about, Kind of allowed a little bit of pressure in that game. He did a good job to mitigate the pressure, get off of his spot, make some scramble plays. He had one nice scramble that came back on a holding call, unfortunately, but also just threw the football well, kept the team ahead of the chains, and produced points on some of his drives, including a great throw and catch to Savon Ahmed. We'll talk about Savon here in just one second because he is one of my takeaways as well. Not in my takeaway top five, but he's in there because explosive plays are the name of the game, and he certainly provides you with some of that. Takeaway 4B, had to shoehorn this in here because I really have like 12 takeaways, but I got to get to the five. Justin Fields, <laughs> I would start him for the Bears if it was my decision. He really had his way once the defense started to kind of pull some guys out of the game. And it's good to get a tape to me, even though I put this on Twitter and people said, well, it's the backups. Yeah, it is, but it's still the tape the Dolphins are going to watch and dissect and work on and get a feel for how to defend a quarterback of this caliber, which isn't the norm in the NFL by any stretch, but it's becoming more and more prevalent. These guys that can get off the spot and make plays with their legs, and then by by way of the plays with their legs, they become more dangerous through the air because you have to account for both, and you don't want to get caught camping back in the defensive backfield. You have to pursue, and then that, of course, opens things up downfield. But what a great opportunity to get a game and two practices on tape against a quarterback that can do these types of things. I mean, he was doing that at practice, getting out on the edge and throwing the football against scattered defensive looks because of the fact that he was threatening on the edge with the legs. To get that on tape, to get a chance to look at it, break it down, give this team a full month before they go into the regular season where you're going to see a Cam Newton and a Josh Allen in back-to-back weeks. To me, that's invaluable, just like it is to see a pass rush like a Chicago Bears team. It's only going to get you better going up against those guys two days of practice and one day in a game. My fifth takeaway is the offensive line because I I, I found the narrative out there in, interesting or intriguing maybe. I don't know the, the term for it, but they looked really good, I thought, early on as far as the pass protection goes. I talked about the Mike Gesicki throw from Tua Tungavailoa. He had all day to sit back there and survey the Adam Shaheen throw was pretty similar as well. The interception uh, to close out to his day, I thought he that he had plenty of time to pass on that one. Didn't get the surge you want in the running game, but as far as creating 
enough of a pocket for Tua to make plays. That's really what sh- all you have to do for this offense to have a chance to be really explosive and really fun to watch. And things did get a little bit compromised, like I mentioned, when you go from uh, what Brissett had in front of him compared to what Tua had. He just, I thought Brissett was under more pressure. I thought Michael Dieter had a really good day up front in terms of helping out with pass protection. There was a great rep where he had to go double Akeem Hicks with Robert Hunt because you, you got to take care of that guy. And then Khalil Mack looped in as the looper on a stunt. And Dieter, once he kind of helped Hunt get into square position up on Akeem Hicks, he comes off that block and follows Khalil Mack and just makes sure he doesn't get to our quarterback. That's going to be a critical, critical element for this team this year. That center position, communicating all the games and helping keep your quarterback clean and healthy is so key. And I think for Michael to have a whole year of experience playing 15 games and then last year stepping back and, you know, he went through the full season, didn't get injured, but his his physical body kind of got a rest because he didn't play nearly as much. He only played a few snaps on offense and some special teams reps here and there, but he had a whole year to kind of sharpen the mental side of the game. I think that's going to be very crucial for him at that center position. And I thought he did really well today. Now, there was some talk about the goal line runs that didn't work out where he was on the ground. He was cut blocking. That's what happens when you cut block. You go to the ground. That's the idea of a cut block. So just keep that in mind. But the offensive line, that's the kind of takeaway. But a sub takeaway of the takeaway is that the production they got with Tua in the game, I think that's a little bit about what you like about Tua's game, that he does elevate the performance of those around him, especially when it comes to the quick passing game. And you get that ball out quick and you pretty much take away the entire factor of the offensive line when you catch rock throw. There's no pass rush that can account for that type of passing game. You just can't get home. You're not gonna, unless they literally turn into parking cones and you can run right by them. But this offensive line is not that. So it's more than good enough to handle the catch rock throw type of passes. But also with that in mind and some of the motion and misdirection and zone read and stuff you can do. And we saw some of that today, the RPO action as well. That's going to put just a half of a false step on the defense or a half of a delay in terms of how they key and trigger and flow. That's going to make all the difference in the world. And I think we saw that, how Tua made his offensive line better based upon the way he handles the game and the approach. So that's our fifth takeaway. And that leads right into kind of takeaway number six, but we'll just go ahead and call it the position by position breakdown. I thought Tua looked really, really, really good in this game. The ball came out quick. He was off the back foot off the top of the drop, and he was stepping up and delivering the football, throwing with tremendous accuracy, and he attacked deep when he had the time, converted third downs of six, eight, and nine yards. How, I mean, how long have you been waiting for that as a Dolphins fan to consistently know that even when you don't win first and second down, you still have the ability to win on third down, keep the offense going, keep this really good defense fresh, it just all works together, all complements. And to convert three third and longs, I thought that was such a big part of the game that I haven't seen talked about a lot, but I'm going to talk about it here on the podcast because the 50 yard to Mike Gesicki, again, great pass protection, great accuracy. I love the way the linebacker is in chase. He's a trailing the Mike Gesicki on the route. And because his back is turned, Tua knows that he only has a certain width or depth that he can defend because you can't see what you can't you can't defend what you can't see rather 
And so Tua, knowing that his back is turned, Mike's on top, he has to be most concerned about the vertical speed of Mike to continue running this thing all the way. So just throw it up over the top, and you're not in danger of him turning back, locating the football, because if he does that, he loses a step, and then Mike might be able to catch that thing and go all the way. So that location on that throw and the subtle little push from Mike to great separation, a nice piece of work there. That throw was fantastic on third down to convert and move the chains. The third and sixth throw to Mike Gesicki on the next drive, that coverage, that ball had no business being completed. The coverage was super tight. Pressure got in pretty quickly into his face, and the DB is all over Mike. Like, he knows uh, that they blitzed on that play. He knows the ball has to come out quick, so he drives on that little stick and out route that Gasecki ran, and so he's on his back. He's turning Mike as he comes over the top, and the ball's perfectly located away from Mike's frame to reach his hands out and make the catch off frame. Now, granted, that's a very difficult catch to make, and I'm sure Tua and Mike know that. Like, hey, man, our only chance to complete this is to throw a ball that's going to be hard for you to catch, so I need you to make a play for me. We talk about Tua making his guys better. How about making your quarterback better? And that's exactly what Mike Kosicki did on that play. But Tua, to give him the opportunity to make that catch and not put it in harm's way, where the DB has an easy PBU, that's fantastic work right there. That, again, had no business being completed, and they put it on the money. Just a great repetition there from your second-year quarterback, your fourth-year tight end, and they're working together here in their second year. And then the third and four, the third and nine throw, rather, to Mac Hollins. There is trash it to his feet and he throws that thing out to his left so he's trying to step left and drive with that right foot out to that side of the field there's a body at his feet at his feet so he can't step into that throw so he has to step away from the direction of his throw go out in your backyard right now take a football and align yourself down the middle of your backyard and throw the ball straight but step with your lead foot your left foot if you're right-handed step out to the left and throw the ball straight and tell me what happens it's not easy you have to account for the difference and the arm slot and the arm angle. And he put that thing right on the money on that throw for a big completion and a first down. And we'll talk about Mac Holland's effort. Actually, let's go ahead and talk about it right now because Mac Holland's had himself a heck of a day, special teams and receiving wise. He on that route, the defenders underneath him playing trail technique because the safety had rolled to that side of the field. So he knows I can play the short stuff, the in out, the in break, the out break and work on that. But Mac still got on top of him, stacked him and then had a great route to the inside to create some space and separation. And Tua with that pressure in his face puts the ball inside of the defensive back. So he can't make a play through the ball and get the PBU. Hollins makes the catch big time. First down, keep that drive going. Then the last one I want to talk about with the, well, that's not the last one, but the next one, <laughs> the Malcolm Brown flip where there's immediate pressure and, and bodies at Tua's feet, and he steps out of the possible sack and flips that thing out to Malcolm Brown. Instead of a six-yard loss in second and 16, it goes for seven yards. So instead of second and 16, it goes to second and three. That's the kind of off-script playmaking you like in addition to the stuff we talk about here, playing on-script, in rhythm, and throwing the football accurately under duress and to guys in tight coverage as well as with separation so just good stuff there and then we have to talk about the interception because that was a bad play let's just call it what it is he was late to come back to that read over the middle he talked about it Jason Taylor talked about it on the broadcast you could see it from the press box I saw Shaheen uncover pretty quickly thought that's where the ball should go and it did but it was just a few seconds late and the end zone angle on the broadcast shows it as well Tua knows that has to be better he owned up to it after the game and his post-game press conference but until that point, just a really solid performance from QB1. It's it's too bad it has to end with the pick because before the pick, he was 8 for 10 with 99 yards. And the two incompletions were a throwaway and a drop that would have been good for about 13 or 14 yards on his first pass of the game. 
It looked like the quarterback we've been seeing at practice and now has a chance to stack some good days and string this thing together and continue to get better in that way. But I come away from this first game very encouraged by what I saw from your Miami Dolphins quarterback. Let's go ahead and go to Tua at his post-game press conference to hear how he felt he performed in his first ever preseason game. I think the better question for that is, uh, <laughs> what didn't I do well? Um, you know, I, I thought I did all right. Um, there are a lot of things that we need to clean up offensively. You know, with our communication, more so our execution uh, with our plays that we're given. Uh, you know, but, you know, first time coming out, you know, in a real uh, game-like situation, environment. Um, you know, I thought it was pretty good uh, for the first time. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of things that we need to clean up, uh, but that's what we got filmed for. You know, when we hop on onto the plane, uh, we'll take a look at uh, some of those uh, plays that uh, didn't go the way we wanted to, and, uh, you know, we'll get those fixed. And let's go ahead now and go to Brian Flores on the performance of his starting quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa. I think he did. I think he did a lot of good things. I thought he made um, several good throws. He had a, I know he had the drop with Shaheen early. Um, I want to say he had another drop, but he fired the ball in there on a couple of end cuts. Made some good decisions. Obviously, the one bad decision in the red zone. Um, and we talked about it. I mean, he knows exactly um, what he should have done with the ball there, and you know, it's correctable. That's what. What we talked about as a staff, something that's very correctable, and um, he'll make the correction and we'll move on and get better from it. Gotta love that message there. It's correctable, and he will go ahead and make those corrections. Let's go ahead and go down the list here of players I thought shined and played well and made a good case for themselves in terms of either getting more playing time or earning a spot on the 53-man roster three or four years from now down the line, which is a, a Coach Flores joke there. It's, it's about a month away, but in terms of football days, it's years away. But here's some guys I thought performed well. Miles Gaskin came into the game uh, second at the running back position and had some nice runs, had that nice run off the edge, as well as a little scamper up the middle where he showed some of the shifty cuts back and forth. But Savan Ahmed, and this goes back to my point earlier about wanting to have explosive aspects or explosive options at every position on offense and I think the receiver position has done a great job this offseason of adding to that component whether it's Jalen Waddell whether it's Albert Wilson coming back off the opt-out whether you talk about Jakeem Grant and the role that he has in this team and making big plays it, it's there's so many options in this offense to make the explosive play Mike Gesicki for 50 yards how many tight ends can catch 50 yard passes he had a 70 yard catch last season but when you want to run the football to me, yeah, it's great to stay ahead of the chains. Yeah, it's great to convert short yardage. But if I can hit home runs and chunk plays in the running game, that's my main focus. I like to move the chains and hit big plays in the running game. And Savan Ahmed had a 20-yard run today and a 23-yard touchdown reception. And he's been hitting that wheel route in practice and games. He's been catching footballs left and right over the middle out to the outside. He just continues to show his big play element. He's a guy I wanted to keep an eye on this camp because of the speed he offers and the opportunity to get a crease and hit the big play. We saw that today. Those two plays, 43 yards from your running back. That's what you want. Big time touchdown there in the passing game. I thought Gaskin and Ahmed both played really well at the running back position. And also Patrick Laird had some nice work. Unfortunately, his one reception that would have moved the chains on third down got called back by a little rub P, uh, PI on the offense on Kirk Merritt. But Nevertheless, he still made the play. So good work there from Patrick Laird. At the receiver position, man, Mac Hollins, on one of the plays on special teams, I saw him bust his ass down there, split a double team, and get into the 
face of the return man who muffed it, but he got the guy down right away at the point after he recovered his own muff. Matt Collins continues to shine on special teams, but also the route. I talked about that route he ran on the 14-yard completion on third and nine. He just stacked him, got a little stutter cut to the inside. Great route there from Matt Collins. He continues to uncover the slant pattern he ran. was a good look there. Had another catch earlier in the game where he got outside of a defender and flipped his hips to the inside and ran the out route, snapped it back off to the outside. That got called back by a holding call, but Matt Collins continues to be a prevalent target and a reliable target for Tua Tonga-Bailoa. And then also Lynn Bowden Jr. had a couple of catches in this game, made some guys miss, made some runs after the catch. Good to see him in game action. I've always thought Lynn was a guy that was kind of a gamer. When the lights go on, he plays even better. So good to see him have a good preseason debut. On the offensive line, I thought Michael Dieter had a good game. I talked about his work passing off some of the the stunts and the moves and the games up front and just the communication he had up front on the offensive line. I think that his presence and his intelligence in that position can really help this Dolphins team pick up some of the stuff that's more mental than physical because I do think he's a very smart, heady player in that position. I also thought Robert Hunt got some good push today, had some good pass protection reps as well. So good on those two guys up front. We go over to the defensive side now at the tight end position, by the way, Mike Gesicki, we talked about him. What a game he had. He looks he looks back healthy, fresh, and ready to go. And that's a big time playmaker in your offense. On the defensive side, I mean, stop me if you've heard this before, man. Christian Wilkins, Adam Butler, Zach Sealer, Raquan Davis, and I put Benito Jones on the list too because he had a nice couple of plays on the interior against the run of the Chicago Bears. But Christian Wilkins, my goodness, what a game he had today. Watching the playback, the broadcast copy, I thought he had one of the, if not the best game on the entire defense. This team works so hard to keep their eyes on the football while engaged on blocks. You come off the block when the ball goes past you and you try to get the tackle. And he did that so well today, stacking up blocks, shedding blocks, getting back to the ball carrier. There was a great rep where he worked down the line on a block, came off of it. The running back bends it back because of the good work by Zach Sealer up front as well, Raekwon Davis up front, bends it back, and Christian Wilkins is there for the Bill Goldberg 1998-style WCW pile driver to the ground. I'm surprised he didn't go for the jackhammer for the finish. That's what I would have done, but maybe another day. So Christian Wilkins, I thought, was fantastic. Also had a pass breakup. He was a menace out there, staying in his gap, getting off blocks, stacking things up for his teammates. Zach Sealer, penetration, stacking blocks. You just can't get penetration, or you can't push this guy back. You can't knock him back. He continuously gets a surge up front on that defensive line. Adam Butler, same story, collapsing the pocket as a pass rusher, holding up things as a run defender. And Raekwon Davis, the same story, man. He was in there penetrating that pocket, closing things down. He is so strong. Guys have a really hell of a time trying to block to block him out of the hole. He and Christian Wilkins had a great rep together. I think the hold was on Wilkins, but both he and Davis looked like to me they got held on a big outside run from the Bears that came back because of that flag. And then I mentioned Benito Jones as well had a couple of plays in the running game. At the linebacker position, Andrew Van Ginkle had a great special teams tackle in this game. He also had a very strong edge set in a run game to get a big stop off the edge in a position where it was him, a blocker, and the ball carrier. And it looked like it was going to be a big game, but Gink was able to get into the gap and make the play and shut that thing down for a short gain. I thought Duke Riley's speed, we talk about it on the podcast every day, showed up big time in this game. He was sideline to sideline, played a lot of snaps, and had a lot of good ones too. I thought Egwavon's strong camp continued to show, show up in the game here today. His speed, again, we talk about the speed on this team. Me, Seth, and OJ talked about this a lot on the postgame show on WQAM. Man, this team speed has really improved this year. 
and the linebacker position is a great example of that. Both Riley and Egwavon really exemplifying that team speed. I thought Brandon Scarlett had a good pass rush on Justin Fields, as well as a strong edge in the running game. That's kind of been his MO of this training camp, a good game from him. And then Jerome Baker, I mean, he's kind of always in here because of the sideline, the sideline speed, the rushing, the coverage, the run defense. If your defense allows zero first downs on five drives, Jerome Baker most likely is doing something right because the defense kind of funnels through his position and what he does in that scheme. So great job by Jerome Baker. In the defensive secondary, Nick Needham, possibly the player of the day. It's it's either him or Christian Wilkins on defense for me because his technique on those two incompletions that he had in the slot was perfect, man. Like two-way go from the slot is a tough, tough ask, but he was on the slant routes before the receiver both time where he just stayed true, kept his eyes on the hips. If his hips are there, he's not leaving. Just focus on that and you can keep your position. He drove on those balls and didn't get pass interference calls. That's a tough ball to drive on where you can possibly turn the guys back with your backhand as you reach over for the PBU with your outside hand. Great work there from Nick Needham. He had a good day. Noah Igbenogany he got banged up on a tackle that was short of the sticks on third down, which by the way, we're always going to mention that here on the podcast. That takes real grit and toughness to make that play. He also had some damn good coverage reps, forced an incompletion, was in perfect coverage on a ball that Fields had to check down on another play. Now he did give up a 25-yard completion, I think it was at one point. Where again, he's in great position, just didn't quite get his head around in time. I think the more he continues to work, the more experience he sees, he'll get better in that department as well. Justin Coleman had a great tackle in the open field on Cole Komet, and he didn't get any passes completed on him either, so a good day for the new Miami Dolphins slot corner there. Eric Rowe, the PBU on Cole Komet as well. All he does is erase tight ends and play a strong safety against the run strong run game safety position as well is what I meant to say. Good job by Eric Rowe. Jamal Perry continues to make plays. His tackle in open space, it was a ace pitcher coming onto the mound after the team has a four-game skid or whatever it might be. He was the stopper at that point because Justin Fields had gone down the field twice for touchdowns and they get the ball out in space on third and short after that muff punt. So a good field position is at stake, getting off the fields at stake, and Jamal Perry makes a great open field tackle. And he also had a great special teams tackle in this game too. He has been really good in training camp and it came over into this first game. And then Javaris Davis, another good coverage rep on a takeoff pass, something he's been doing all training camp long. And I continue to be impressed by his work at the cornerback position. Specialist Jalen Waddle had the 23-yard punt return. That was awesome to see some shake and bake and the speed to really drop that thing into second gear and take off and show the speed there. Jakeem Grant had two fantastic punt returns as well and some work in the receiving game as a uh, in the passing game rather as a receiver. Jason Sanders two for two and a PAT. Michael Pilardi boomed the crap out of the ball all day. Had a couple of balls pinned down inside the 15-yard line as well. And then Blake Ferguson, some good snaps. Those are your special teams performers. Guys that I thought made their case as possible getting onto the roster, guys. Javaris Davis mentioned him. Jamal Perry mentioned him. I thought Craven LeBlanc had a good game. And Patrick Laird mentioned him earlier as well. Four of the guys that were kind of in that second half tier of, of snap takers that I thought played well. My game balls, I'm going to go with Nick Needham and Eric Rowe. We talked about both those guys and Christian Wilkins. Jakeem Grant for the punt return work he did. He gets in there. Mike Gesicki, the big catches, the the 50-yard catch basically was good for points. Savon Ahmed scored a touchdown, had two 20-plus-yard plays. Big time for running back. Jamal Perry on there. We talked about him already. And then Tua Tungavailoa, 
I was going to take him off for the pick, but after watching the game, he was so sharp and efficient, getting the ball out, making his teammates better. He definitely gets in there. My top offensive performer is Mike Gesicki. It would have been Tua before the pick. And my top defensive performer was Nick Needham with Christian Wilkins right there. And my drive of the game was going to be the Tua... I think it was like a 13-play drive. It was the one that ended in the pick, but they were going so well with third-down conversions and just playing with rhythm. That was going to be the drive of the game, but we decided to pivot over to the Jacoby Brissett because he went five for five, a couple of passes to Bowden, two to Ahmed, and one to Robert Foster, I believe it was, before the 23-yard touchdown pass to Savon Ahmed. So all things good. Looked pretty good for a preseason debut. Plenty to work on and correct for next week heading into the Atlanta Falcons, the lone preseason game at Hard Rock Stadium this year. And we have two joint practices to cover at Baptist Health Training Complex, as well as a practice on Tuesday. We're going to be back with you guys on Monday for a mailbag and kind of a deeper dive into this game type of podcast. Stay tuned for that. Get your questions in on the Twitter mailbag. When I post that, probably going to do it on, probably going to do it on Monday mornings. We'll keep an eye out for that. Also, the post-game show on KISS FM and WQAM 560 AM right after the Miami Dolphins game wraps. Go over to 560 or 99.9 FM and check us out. We are on the airwaves. Myself, OJ McDuffie, Seth Levitt. You're not going to want to miss those shows. As for my time today, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.